0: Thank you for downloading the PLOD Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sargentson Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. If a police officer facing professional disciplinary proceedings disputes the misconduct allegations and continues to do so even after a finding of gross misconduct, can the misconduct hearing conclude that the officer lacks insight and remorse and impose a higher disciplinary sanction? A recent GMC case has considered this issue. I'm Deborah Britstone, and here to discuss the case of the GMC and Awan with me is Alexander Dos Santos, a barrister from Sargeants in Chambers. Hi Alex, can you tell us a little about the background and the facts of the case?
1: Uh, yes, this was an appeal by the General Medical Council against a sanction that the doctor in question, he was suspended for nine months with a review, but they considered that it was insufficient to protect the public. Now, the background to this case goes back to the beginning of 2016 and the, respond- the registrant was a general practitioner in Leeds. And um, it, what he'd started doing was logging into a chat room under a username which disclosed the fact he was a medic. He claimed that he'd often do that to de-stress when he was having a difficult time and he started to do it on a relatively frequent basis. Whilst in that chat room, he started getting into conversations with someone which had a a username called um, Sophie Sheff. And it was quite clear from the transcript that this individual was purporting to be a 13-year-old. In fact, it was a South Yorkshire police officer who was essentially monitoring the site and and was pretending to be a 13-year-old. And so um, after a number of exchanges which were uh, inappropriate, the um, police disclosed the nature of these communications to the GMC. Now, it so happened that in 2017, the doctor emigrated to Canada. But in the meantime, the GMC had started proceedings against the doctor and brought charges in relation to the communications, which in essence alleged that these were Inappropriate exchanges, there was sexually motivated conduct, and that he'd failed to protect what appeared to be a vulnerable child by reporting the matter to the Child Protection Agency. So he made partial admissions, certainly accepting the nature of the communications. But he ran a, a rather bizarre defence, arguing that he'd realised that this individual was in fact an imposter and believed it was someone significantly older messing with him. And that what he'd been doing was engaging with this individual in this chat room to try and expose the individual as, as he believed the person to be a police officer. So essentially he was saying, I was playing along um, to try and catch out this officer That defence of his was rejected by the panel. He went on then to consider the issues of impairment and sanction.
0: And what was the tribunal's decision on impairment?
1: Um, Well, they found that he um, was impaired um, by reason of his misconduct. They rejected his account and determined that in a case such as this, it's very, very difficult to remediate this kind of behaviour. And they found that the doctor had some insight, although limited, and so he hadn't yet remediated and therefore remained impaired.
0: And the decision on sanction?
1: Was to suspend him for a period of nine months with a review. uh, And that was, of course, something that the GMC considered to be too low.
0: So the first ground of appeal was that the tribunal failed to have regard to the manner in which the respondent gave his evidence. How did the court respond to
1: that? Well, the court um, rejected background, uh, along with the other two, but in particular, um, it was quite clear going through the judgment that the registrant had, um, his evidence had been properly and fully considered by the panel. Uh, And they'd looked with care about what had happened since then. They looked with care at the way in which he explained the the background. It was quite clear from their judgment that um, everything had been fully considered by them.
0: And then the second ground of appeal, which was that the tribunal had regard to an irrelevant factor, namely the public interest in not depriving the public of the services of an otherwise competent doctor. That argument didn't get very far either, did it?
1: It didn't. And it was a slightly um, unusual way it was argued, because it's generally accepted in professional discipline cases that it is a potentially relevant factor that when so much has been invested in training a doctor, um, there's a public interest, if possible, in retaining that doctor on the register um, for the benefit that can be brought to bear on on medical services. And, And the argument being raised was that because he had emigrated to Canada, the public who would benefit by his continued practice would be in Canada and not the UK public. It was a rather bizarre um, argument to take and the court was unimpressed and took the view that actually it didn't really matter. and In fact, one one should look at it as um, the public being the global community rather than constraining itself just to the UK.
0: And then the third and the final ground of appeal was that the tribunal failed in its application of the sanctions guidance. And again, this didn't find favour with the court either, did it?
1: No, the court, I think, described it as meritless. And in fact, what the tribunal had done is exactly what panels always do, which is identified relevant factors and worked progressively through the indicative sanctions guidance. And that's how they reached the point um, they could. And um, interestingly, um, at the end of the judgment, um, having gone through the exercise that the panel had undertaken and the judge saying there's nothing wrong with it, the judge also (laughs) stepped back. um, This is paragraph 46 of the judgment saying, standing back. I ask myself whether a disposal can be characterised as wrong, and his um, view was that it couldn't be. So it's important to bear in mind that whilst there's a process that's followed when it comes to identifying the correct sanction, it's also useful exercise to step back and look at having followed that process, whether or not the end result is one which appears to suit the facts and circumstance of the case itself.
0: And usefully, the judgment contains a summary of the relevant legal principles applicable to an appeal such as this. Can you just give us an overview of of those principles?
1: Yes. In fact, um, it's always important when the appeal court is being asked to consider how much weight was attributed to facts and the position of the tribunal because the professional discipline tribunals are usually specialist tribunals and they're afforded quite a wide margin by the appellate courts so the two things i take from this is that first of all there's a restatement uh, and usually at the beginning of the judgment of all of those authorities that say that the appeal court should be reluctant before second guessing or or going behind the findings of fact by a specialist tribunal who have heard evidence Heard the registrant give his evidence and also seen uh, how that survived cross examination. But there's a particular an exercise that was gone through by the appeal counsel for the GMC, where he tried to break apart parts of the judgment and, by analysis, demonstrate that there had been flaws. And the observation by the court was: "These are the expression of paragraph 26. This is exactly the kind of narrow textual analysis which an appellate court should avoid." when considering the reasoning of any tribunal, especially one not composed of professional judges. So it's a restatement very much of the reticence the appeal court should have and a caution against advocates appearing on appeals trying to just pick parts of a judgment without putting them into the full context. And it's also of interest that there was reference made to the judgment in Ali Um, and in particular the fact that where there's been an evaluative exercise undertaken by the tribunal, that is where the appeal court should be very hesitant in interfering.
0: And so how does this judgment fit with previous decisions of a similar nature?
1: Well, every case turns on its facts and it's interesting that two of the most relevant judgments, Yusuf and the General Medical Council, which is a 2018 case, and Amiel and Nursing Midwifery Council, a 2014 case, were not referred to in the judgment. So it, when considering the judgment in this matter, Mr Justice Mostyn didn't have regard to how the courts previously dealt with the issues. But there's no inconsistency because, again, each case turns on its facts. I suppose at the heart of the judgment is really the, the extent to which a registrant is entitled to maintain a denial And yet the the tribunal can consider the issues of insight and remorse, which are are very different. One is an understanding, an appreciation of certain kinds of conduct behavior, the other is regret, and how there's a restatement of the principle that someone's entitled to defend charges and maintain that defense, and can't be expected to have what's described as a Damascene conversion at the moment of judgment. And then make admissions that they were wrong or, or guilty of misconduct. The consequence of this, of course, is that were an individual to do that, they deprive themselves of the right or ability to appeal against the judgment to the High Court.
0: Mm. And so, uh, in, in your view, what, what sort of tips are there to take away from this judgment?
1: Well, there's some useful statements of the principles in terms of appeals and how the, high, the appeal courts will look at or reviewing a decision below. It's quite a useful judgement when looking at the issue of insight. The tribunals are entitled to take into account the fact that an individual still at the point of sanction denies having committed the offence. It begs the question if the registrant denies having committed the misconduct in the first place, how can they satisfy the tribunal that this won't happen again? But it's not a black and white issue. And so uh, I'd certainly caution against people taking this as a licence people to just maintain a position of denial throughout. But certainly there's guidance given in the judgment about the line that might be taken, uh, respecting and standing the judgments of the tribunal, but whilst being able to maintain um, a denial of the underlying facts.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting as to how those two sit aside each other. Thank you very much for, for taking us through that. It's a really interesting case and I'm sure one that we'll come across again in our practice. So thank you very much. Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.